All right, it is recording. Hey, Brian, how you doing? All right, Janet, how have you been? Oh, I've been wonderful, wonderful, you know, dealing with this COVID-19 thing, but I am so happy that we are able to join forces and join our energies and get together to talk about what's front and center on the minds of leaders in business and education. And that's how do we pivot? How do we transition our business models in a lot of cases from traditional in-person to virtual? Because you know, Brian, a lot of organizations are struggling with that. Would you agree? Absolutely. We certainly are in a very interesting time right now. Everyone's trying to figure out what the new normal is going to look like. We know things are never going to go back to where they were. So how are we going to deal with it? How are we going to make these changes? How would he make the, how are we going to be effective with our, with our learners so that they get the best of this new world? And that's the challenge, Brian. And that's why I'm so happy that we are able to put together, bring together our 30 years of experience, combined 30 years of experience in learning and development to help those who are in HR, who are in L&D, who are in any role that's responsible for helping to continue to invest in learning for employees, whether it's in business or whether it's education. You know, I've been reading um, a lot of posts and a lot of articles where people or leaders in different organizations are just trying to figure out how do we maneuver in this new normal? How do we educate our children? How do we get learning out to our employees? Because the last stat I checked, Brian, and I think you would probably agree with me in business, in the business setting, learning is still about 60% traditional ILT. Would you agree with that? Well, I certainly suspect, in fact, I think that in certain companies, the only ones I've been involved with over the last few years, are probably even way higher than that. They're still very much stuck into an instructor-led format. Yeah. And yet here we are in a time where new technologies, new ways of thinking about adult learning, and it's really a very exciting time in the L&D world. And the question really is, how many companies get it? How many companies yeah. are now being forced to make that change and start to adapt some of these new technologies? Absolutely right. And I think that's that's the thing. Um, how many of the co these companies do really get it? Because you know, we still have companies that think webinars are virtual training. And that's one of the things that we're gonna talk about in this first masterclass session. And by the way, to our viewing and listening audience, this is a virtual, a, a masterclass series in virtual training being delivered by Brian Kadish and Dr. Janet Lockhart-Jones. So before we go any further, um, I'm gonna ask Brian to introduce himself and then I'll introduce myself. And then we'll dive into helping you understand what some of the trends are um, that's occurring today it as in, 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 in moving or transitioning work, not just from um, in the office to home office, but again, our focus really is going to be on enabling organizations to continue to invest in their employees by leveraging some of the, the plethora of technologies that are out there. And Brian and I, again, we've been in this virtual space for a long time. And so we will even, we even have recommendations that we can bring to our viewing and listening office uh, uh, audience and advise on 
what technologies you might want to use because it's really going to vary. And I think Brian, you would agree with me on this. It's really going to vary. Like if, if all you want to do is give webinars, then you don't need a much more, a, a much more, a really big, robust platform where you can do training, you can do webinars, you can do breakout rooms, you know? And so, but yet, if you want to do interactive training, maybe you want to integrate some video and do webinars, that requires a different technology. Wouldn't you agree, Brian? Absolutely. And of course, as learning professionals, we all understand that, you know, when we think about anything we do, any course we develop, any program we develop, what is the first thing we think about? What are the outcomes we're looking for? And depending on those outcomes, maybe it is a webinar, maybe it's a class, maybe it's a blended learning. It could be all variations on a theme. So there is no one size fits all. It's a combination of trying to figure out what do you want to accomplish? And I think it's fair to say, Janet, that one of the things we'll be talking about are, you know, how do we get impact from this? You know, it's not just about training, but how do we make sure that people are retaining the knowledge, they're yes. using the knowledge, that you're having impact? And, and I think that's a critical component that I'm sure in many of the programs we've seen over the years has been missing, where it was training to fill butts and seats, it was training to just get something out the door so you could say we did a training. But from our point of view, I think it's all about, we want to see you have impact with your, with your learners. That's right. That's right. Because there's no need to do training if it's not changing behavior, generating some business results or some other tangible outcome. And you're right. Many organizations want to do training just to check the box. And that's the, the misnomer, if, if you will, when you, when people hear virtual training, it's like, okay, I can, I can attend this and I can continue to do my other work in the background. I don't really have to pay attention because it's going to be one way anyway. So I'll just sit there, but that's not training. And so we really want to do a deep dive and help people understand what training is, what training is not. And if you're going to do training in the COVID-19 as well as post COVID-19 world, you really have to first understand what are your targeted outcomes? What is Absolutely. the behavior change that you seek to make in your employees, right? So great stuff, great stuff. So excited. So but again, I know I said this before, before we get going down the line, because I know if you're like me, we're both ready to jump in and start talking. Um, so introduce yourself, Brian, please. Okay. I will be glad to. So as Janet said, my name is Brian Kadish. And over the course of my career, I've had a number of different roles. I've been a curriculum manager for many years for Microsoft, where I was responsible for creating and developing training programs, multi-year curriculum for thousands of users around the world. I've also managed some very large content development vendors at various companies. I've led curation efforts as well. Uh, so I've had a range of uh, different responsibilities and has given me insight both in terms of doing the actual frontline work as well as doing a little bit more of the kind of strategic thinking about where are we going, what does an overall curriculum look like to, you know, for the benefit of our users. So it's been a fun ride and yeah, who knew where it would take us to today? Yeah, it has. And again, for our viewing and, and, and listening audience, Brian and I actually worked together for almost six years in mm -hmm. enterprise learning and development for um, a, a large uh, technology organization. 
So that's how Brian and I came together. And even though he and I are no longer at the organization, we still um, keep in communication. We talk frequently, exchange ideas and collaborate, which led us to being able to offer a virtual training uh, masterclass series. So again, I'm Dr. Janet Lockhart-Jones and I am the president and CEO of Project Partners Consulting Inc. I've been in business since 2004 and I work with organizations to help them uh, strategically position their talent management initiatives. I am a consultant, I am a, a trainer, I am a public speaker. Um, I love anything about being in front of an audience and I really appreciate the power of virtual learning. I've been for, I would say, the past five years, Brian, I've been really pondering why in education. Now, I've gone the whole route, the bachelor's, the master's, the doctoral program, et cetera, all traditional IOT. But I'm wondering in this day and age, since we do have the technologies, why is it we require undergrad students who are going for a bachelor's degree, right? The first two years is typically general education stuff anyway. Why do we require them to leave their homes or live on campus, get parking passes and all this sort of expensive stuff to sit in the class for three days a week or two days a week for an hour and a half to learn about general ed programs like history? or government or even english and what have you and i know people make a case for i know people make a case for that personal touch being there and that makes sense i mean if you're doing biology experience for example i remember in, in high school who way back um we had to dissect frogs so i remember that would be very difficult to do virtually but there's so much learning that can go on that allows teachers to be in their home environment, students to be in their home environment. And with COVID-19, businesses are finding out we don't necessarily need these brick and mortar um, uh, 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 structures and have 200, 300, 400, 500 people sitting in an office. So I think you and I had talked about this too. I don't see things going back to the way they were before COVID-19. I think you were spot on when you said a new normal. Your thoughts? Well, I would say, first of all, when it comes to college, I think there's a huge desire on the part of the parents to get rid of the kids ah! and say, please leave the house. You know, it's time yeah. for you to move on, even if it's going to cost a small fortune. Um, so as much as there are parents who are very upset when their kids leave home for the first time, uh, there's, a certain, uh, there's a certain, like, you know what, you're old enough, get the hell, get the hell out of the house. But I also think that what you touched on was the issue of trust. And this is certainly, I'm not sure I could speak as well to college, but certainly in the, in the corporate environment, companies do not trust their people. They think that they have to be there in an office so they can be watched, so their manager can constantly call them in and keep an eye on them and all this stuff. It kind of reminds me way back when um, I'm trying uh, the author who talked about his uh, Peters, I believe his name was, who talked about management by walking around, if you recall that theory. You know, so this whole idea of, ooh, if they're home, who knows what they're really doing? 
And I think what happened is this pandemic has actually opened the eyes up of a lot of companies and we'll see the truth of it when it dies out and so forth. But a lot of companies realize, guess what? People are still getting work done. They're still being productive. Their bosses don't need to be seeing them all the time. We certainly have video and other ways to keep in touch with each other. Um, so it's a matter of this mind shift that, yes. you know what, I, I, I can let my people be at home and oh, by the way, look at the cost savings. I don't have to have, you know, thousands, millions of square feet of office space. I don't need the infrastructure right. and people can feel comfortable. It eliminates the commute. So there's so many different factors at play here. But I think for a lot of companies, there's a mind shift of, you know what, maybe it wasn't so bad. Maybe they had to be forced into it, unfortunately, to realize that people are adults. They have a job to do. And at the end of the day, you're gonna either be productive or you're not. You can't hide that fact. If you've got a job to do, whether you're sitting there in an office or sitting there at home, your manager can tell, did you get that job done? So I I think that's gonna be a big issue. And I think that it kind of also touches on, as much as I hate to say this, there's a little bit of a generational shift that goes on Mm. because managers of a certain age who are used to this environment, you know, they're not as comfortable with it, whether maybe it might be younger managers. And it's not like I have all this data to prove it as much as it's a gut feeling that I think Mm -hmm. will be much more used to being, you know, on video and so forth and not necessarily feel like they need to be in an office space. So I think as we see the shift of more and more Gen X millennials now moving into management spots, What does that do as well at the same time we're going through this? So so it does touch on a number of issues. And I don't know if you've seen that yourself in in environments that you've been in. Yeah, I I really have. You know, I have a really, really, really good friend of mine who um, has been working for um, uh, a large utility company here in California. And she's been with the company well over 35 years. And she typically goes into the organization day in and day out, day in and day out. And she's heard my stories about working from home because I've been working from home basically for over 20 years now. And I love it. I don't think that there's any other way that I would love to work. And even when you and I were at Pitney Bowes, who we were chatting earlier, we think Pitney Bowes was sort of on the forefront of the work from home, mastering the work from home um, um, shtick, if I could because even though Pitney Bowes was a global organization and we had employees all over the, you know, we had employees spread out all over the world, there was just a core group of folks at the corporate headquarters, but the entire learning and development organization was geographically dispersed, but yet we were still very much effective and we were still able to bridge, I mean, to build really, really effective relationships, but there was trust there. And you're right, you hit that spot on they trusted that when we had work to do and a job to get done and deliverables to be produced that it would happen and they did so you know kudos to to pity bows uh, but i was going to say that my really good friend who's been you know she's seen me work from home for, for two decades now but she has now been thrust with working from home and she's from the baby boomer age and initially it was very, very difficult for her to make the mental transition. Um, she does a lot of work on the uh, on the computer. She handles procurement and a lot of other things. And what was most challenging for her was getting set up at home. 
and mastering the technology and be able to VPN into the office. She's like, VPN, what is that? Right? <laughs> right. Um, and the first week or so, you know, she got her computer and the router and all this stuff set up and it was a bit chaotic. She's like, I'm going back to the office. I said, no, you're not going back to the office mm -hmm. because your health and safety is more important than any possible job. So now she's in a groove and guess what she's finding out, Brian? She works more from home than she did in the office because her office is set up downstairs in her dining room, which is right next to her kitchen. And so in her family room and kitchen was the center of the home as, as is most cases. And so now she can always see her office when she wants a break. She doesn't go to the break room anymore. She goes to her kitchen, grabs some coffee and goes right back and sit down. Right. You know, so it, it's something about organizations that trust their employees to mm -hmm. get the work done. Now, COVID has required employers, whether they wanted to or not, to trust the employees. But I think that they're going to find this new normal not only more cost effective, but also for many employees, um, much more, uh, was, uh, it, it provides more of a balance in their in their life. So especially after the kids go back to school, what have you. So now the parents are just home, able to do their own thing and do their own work. And I think they'll find a much more balance, a work work life balance. So right. Well and, and it's uh -huh. and it is very funny actually because you're right. We have so many experienced the fact that, oh, you know, before I go to bed, let me take a quick peek on the computer, see if any email came through. Yeah. So you find yourself you know, it may not be consecutive time in the way we've been raised to think of a nine to five world, but when you start to add up all the hours that go in or you're on a weekend and you just take a quick look, all these little things, all of a sudden yeah. you realize, you know what, I'm not sitting home eating bonbons. I'm basically doing more work than I probably ever did in my life. Right. I will say the, the flip side, which is a little bit hard to replicate and I think is a bit of an issue depending on the kind of company and the kind of job you have is what I would call the that kind of water cooler effect, right? Mm -hmm. You know, you're walking down the hall in an office, you bump into a coworker, you have a chat, it generates an idea or maybe something you think about or whatever. And there is some benefit to that, that in some subtle way, there's an extra productivity in a sense. Obviously, there are other times you sit around and schmooze about the kids and there's no productivity, but right. that that's a missing piece. And that's a little hard for people to replicate through video. I'm used to it, and I think you are as well, in the sense that if I'm looking at, like, for example, these days I use Skype, and I can see who's green. So I say, oh, look at that. You know, uh, Shirley, she's green. Let me just ping her real fast right, and we right, have an, right. a, a prompt-to conversation about something. So in a way, I've kind of replicated that a little bit, you know, so, so we do have more ad hoc conversations, and it isn't all about meetings. But I see that as a difficult transition for people who are used to being in an office, turning to their neighbor and saying, hey, I'm working on this and you guys have any ideas and I, what do you, can you give me a hand, take a look over my shoulder? That's a transition. It's going to take time to, um, to figure out how do you do that in a virtual world. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's a great segue, Brian, into what you know we want to um, focus on for the remainder of the time that we have in this first masterclass session and and that is you know the COVID-19 um 
has put virtual everything center stage. Mm -hmm. I don't think there's any doubt about that. The number of Zoom Zoom users, as an example, has just skyrocketed. But we had stock in that company. Exactly. Every meeting that I have had since COVID-19 has been on Zoom. Even mm -hmm. in my Toastmasters meetings are on Zoom. My uh, meetup meetings are on Zoom. My, my virtual cocktail parties. Yeah, cocktail parties, <laughs> my executive coaching sessions are on Zoom. Um, but I don't do training with Zoom. Um, and we're going to get into that. And you know, I posted an article recently, several articles recently on LinkedIn about some of the challenges and opportunities um, with delivering virtual training. I also uh, wrote an article helping people or post, I should say, helping people to understand the differences amongst the different platforms, Zoom, Adobe Connect, um, WebEx, etc. There's many out there. And uh, there's also platforms that are specifically geared toward education as well, centered toward K through 12. And that is also a huge arena that is seeing challenges in the um, in terms of making that transition and pivoting from classroom uh, tra you know classroom education to, to online. But we're going to get into that at, at, at another time. But what I want to do is so COVID-19 put virtual everything center stage. Um, you and I have for years talked about that there's tremendous opportunity for virtual training. And that's because, you know, we're in the, we've been in the enterprise learning and development space for so many years. And we have seen the possibilities, but there's also been a lot of resistance in organization as well. And also resistance from, uh, let's just say targeted training attendees, because there's this myth, uh, and I actually write about virtual training myths in another LinkedIn article, but there's this myth that virtual training cannot be as effective as instructor-led training. So right now, you're in the uh, learning and development space within State Farm. So help our, our audience understand, for example, what State Farm is doing to pivot and in general, what are some of the trends that you see happening, not just at State Farm, but elsewhere? Well, you know, you, um, so, and, and so funny enough, you know, um, uh, this is part of, part of the challenge of being in a virtual world is um, getting, having to multitask because as we're talking, um, people are pinging me and they're asking me questions and so forth. Mm -hmm. And so as someone presenting, these are some of the, uh, you know, some of the challenges here, you know, in terms of how do you keep your focus? How, you know, how many times have we been in classes or virtual classes and webinars where uh, all of a sudden you find yourself doing email and you find yourself doing other things and you realize did I even hear anything that this person was talking about for the last 15 minutes. So, right. so it, these are very interesting challenges and new ways of us learning to, to be effective learners as we go through this. You know, one of the things I have seen, um, you know, in my current role, which is with State Farm, is, <clears throat> excuse me, is that for companies, depending on the industry that they are in, and clearly State Farm being in a very highly regulated industry, as our banks, or other institutions are 
you want to shift into new technologies. You want to try new things, but you have to mitigate risk. So they wind up in a bit of a conundrum, right? Because, oh, I want to bring in Zoom or I want to bring in some platform. How do I make sure that it's secure? I mean, we've seen a lot of information in the news these days about some of the privacy issues around Zoom, for example. How do you make sure that you are not opening holes in your security environment yes. uh, that could potentially let all kinds of dangerous actors uh, play where they shouldn't belong, right? Mm -hmm. um, and this is a very big issue, I think, for a lot of companies. Even if you're not in a highly regulated industry, you don't want to open up your systems um, to uh, any hackers. You don't want to open them up to, in this day and age, what we've seen uh, going on in, in the uh, in the virtual world, where uh, whether it's phishing, whether it's whatever it might be. So that has been a very big issue, and I think one that may not be a showstopper, or might have been in the past a showstopper for many companies. Say, you know what, we'll stick with the tried and true. Um, but moving ahead now, there's more urgency. You have to move ahead, yeah. but there's also a lot of urgency to get it right because you know you open up any holes. And even a company like when I worked at Microsoft, I mean, Microsoft has a huge security apparatus. I mean, their their uh, in, information security center is like something out of the Pentagon, um, and yet they get attacked all the time. So anyway, that's that's one of the things I have seen where it's been a very difficult transition because as for all the good intentions that the company absolutely wants to do, starting from the highest levels all the way down, there's still that bit of a fear factor of like, oh, let's really make sure. So instead of something you can turn on a dime, it can literally take sometimes years to make the transition. Yeah, but I think that, and that, I, I'm sure you would agree, I think that the the timing to make to really think strategically about playing more heavily in the virtual space is right now mm -hmm. um if if COVID 19 does nothing else in terms of waking businesses and the education arena up is that the change the time to make these changes um, are currently ripe. People um, are looking for answers. And the thing is, I, I, I think that in terms of making the transition and to your point about getting it right, one of the reasons why I think people don't get it right is because they don't look at the transition strategically. They look at it more, what tools should we get? Um, who can who can who can start teaching this thing tomorrow? That's not a strategic way of looking at making a transition. Um, mm -hmm. If you're going to deliver virtually, for example, I uh, I've taught virtually for about six years for a particular high tech organization, and inside this organization, they have a whole um, university structure that manages the learning that they administer to their, their employees. Um, I don't know what percentage of their learning is face-to-face -face versus virtual, but I know it's a combination because I've had the opportunity to look inside the LMS and see what, what their offerings are. Um, and a lot of high-tech companies in the Silicon Valley do the same thing, whereas they offer certain courses virtually and then other courses 
in person. Um, and my thinking is that there's strategic thought behind that. But also, I, I've seen that there's a lot of opportunity for more course content to be delivered virtually, but it's because people have blinders or limitations on, or they, these, these mindsets with limitations that says, oh, how can we possibly teach people how to be leaders virtually? Oh, how can we possibly teach project management effectively virtually? How can we possibly be effective at teaching influencing skills virtually? Well, the thing is you can. I've done it for many organizations all over the world. But here's the thing. If organizations are going to successfully transition a much larger, I won't say the whole thing, but it's much larger um, uh, percentage of their training and learning solutions, whether it's e-learning or live virtual, there needs to be strategic intent behind that, right? And, and that's the caution that I have, or the note of caution, is because of COVID-19, I think a lot of organizations are just jumping into this arena without thinking, or let's use Zoom for training. No, no, for meetings, yes. Or let's go out and get WebEx or Adobe Connect to do our, our meetings. Well, you don't need all of that. That that you don't need necessarily need that level of comprehensiveness is all you want to do is have meetings and do one-way webinars. So again, to your point earlier, it starts with what outcome are you seeking? And then let's continue, well, let's follow up that answer with some strategic intent behind what it is um, that you want to accomplish. The technology is there, right? I think you would agree with me on that. There's no question that the technology exists and has existed for a while That's right. to deliver live virtual classes effectively. And by the way, audience, when Brian and I talk about virtual training, we're not necessarily talking about, well, we're not talking about um, asynchronous learning. We're not talking about learning uh, that you can get on Harvard Management or, or LinkedIn Learning, which is basically self-selective. You could choose this course, you could choose that course. Take that it. may be a part of it, but it's not the whole exactly. thing. Exactly. I think that should be part of the whole strategy, right? Mm -hmm. But when you and I talk about virtual, because this is the this is the type of training delivery that's giving organizations so much angst and why there's so much misunderstanding about it, and which we aim to classify it to, to, to clear up, I should say, in this master series. And we're talking about live synchronous training where there is an instructor who's in his or her home or work office environment. And there are attendees, most likely who are spread out all over the country or all over the world. They are together live with the instructor. And there is intentionality of content. It may be a multi-day course in leadership skills, a multi-day course in influencing skills. It might be a short three-hour course, a short two-hour course in something. But the point is, 
it's not, it's a two-way interaction, um, actually one to many, many to one, I like to say, because there's action, for lack of a better word, from start to finish. From the moment the instructor logs on to when the people come in the class, there's action from start to finish. There's individual work. There's uh, there's work to be done in maybe small groups or triads. There's breakout groups. There's chats and there's hand raising. And it's all intentional leading to outcomes, new skills, new level of understanding, etc. So Brian, would you agree with me when I describe when I share that's my definition of virtual training that we're talking about? I do. I, I think that, you know, to your point of thinking about how are you creative in that environment? Okay. So how many times have you been in a situation where some uh, one of your companies you consult with, for example, says, we've been doing this training and we want you to do it virtually. And what they're thinking of is taking this, you've been standing in front of a classroom, and now I want you to do that same stand up in front of the classroom, only set a camera in front of you. Yes. And you and I both know, right, that, that there's a lot of ways, whether it's flipped classrooms, whether it's blended learning classrooms, whether all kinds of ways to, to think about what does a classroom actually look like, right. you know, in the future, it right. could have looked very different. And to your point, highly interactive, uh, you know, maybe it is a, a classroom where, you know what, students, Go up and read something, go watch a bunch of LinkedIn videos, do what you need to do, come back to class, and now we're gonna have a discussion about it. I am not gonna, in that classic sense, teach you anymore. I'm not gonna stand up and here and give you a bunch of stuff. I'm gonna ask you questions. I'm gonna hear your feedback. And lots of different ways to be able to think about an environment that enhances, again, to what we were talking about earlier, it enhances the learning experience. Right. And you're not stuck, And you know, the, the, the classic that I always think about, that I, maybe I'm dating myself with this one, but for those of you who've seen the movie Ferris Bueller, where Ben Stein gets up in front of the class and in this highly monotone attitude goes, and now I am going to teach you about this. And immediately all our eyes go and we're asleep, right? So the challenge is, and, and, and your question earlier about some of the things that I've seen now is, the challenge for a lot of companies are, not only do you have to think about how do you redesign the class so yeah. that it is highly interactive because you're not going to take those same materials and just put them out virtually because right. you are doomed for failure and how do you now teach your instructors to take advantage of this environment for a lot of people being in front of a camera like this is not a comfortable experience right. i mean how many meetings have you been on where people never turn on their, their cameras Right, a lot. You might as well be on a phone call, right? I mean, and I'm not sure the psychology behind it, but for some reason, people are very hesitant. So how do you get somebody comfortable to take advantage of that? So, so yes, I do agree with you. I think that creating an extremely highly interactive environment, students are engaged, they're participating, they're part of the learning, um, which I think is a trend in general, that people now have to take more accountability for their own training not depend on someone to say this is what your training will be because in the new world order if you're not taking responsibility for your own training you know it's going to be hard to see where your career will go in the long run yeah absolutely absolutely i agree with everything everything you said um and a lot of what you just said we're actually going to spend time on 
in future masterclass sessions. We're gonna talk to people about designing a course, a transitioning a design from face-to-face -to, -face to virtually. We're gonna talk to our audience about helping uh, uh, an instructor make that tr transition and what it takes to be an effective virtual instructor. Because I was a trainer trainer for a long time and I have had to ramp many, many virtual instructors. And not everyone is cut out to be a virtual training instructor. And delivering virtual training is very different from just facilitating a webinar, right? Mm -hmm. And so, right. Um, so audience, you have a lot to look forward to in forthcoming sessions. So Brian, as we wind down in this session, um, I wanna talk more specifically about the differences between webinars and virtual trainings. And I know that I just shared some thoughts on virtual training and you just shared some thoughts. Um, but so, uh, so let me kick this off and then you, you chime in. I think what gives virtual training a bad rap amongst many, many people, especially in business, is that um, one is boring and two, it's, um, it's one way, right? And so, and that's because people have had really unpleasant webinar experiences, right? Because webinars, as you and I both know, are one way, mm -hmm. right? You have a, a speaker and maybe that speaker is using some PowerPoint slides. Um, they may ask you, you know, well, to respond to something on the slide by making an entry in chat or doing a poll, or they may even take, you know, two or three pauses to answer one or two questions, but that's still a one way type of communication. The intent of webinars to me is to exchange information. It is not to learn something new, um, unless, you know, the information that you're learning is new, but it's not to affect behavior change or it's not specifically to uh, affect um, skill building. It's to exchange information, right? And so when people come to webinars, what happens? Um, they usually sit like this, they're listening. To your point earlier, the camera may not be on. They might be multitasking tasking behind the scenes. Well, that's not virtual training. In an effective virtual training class, that does not happen. But to your point, you have to have the right design and you have to have an instructor who is effective in live virtual training. So one of the biggest myths that I see about a virtual training as compared to webinars, and I've already said this, is that uh, it's one way, which that is not true. Virtual training is not the same as, as a webinar. The intention behind virtual training is very different than a webinar. In webinars, there's no accountability. You attend or not attend, you know, mm -hmm. if you want right. to. If mm -hmm. your company is paying for training, and so, so like for example, if a company is paying me um, to train 20 employees, those employees are in that class because they either self-selected or they were required to attend. 
it's being recorded in their learning management system. For some of my clients, I have to send the attendee roster after the fact, virtual or in-person, to identify who attended all three days or all seven days if it's a virtual class. And then, you know, with tools like WebEx, you can also see who's attentive and who's not being attentive. So that's additional feedback. You know, so as a as a live and you got your smile sheets as well. Yeah, smile sheets, etc. So webinars to our, our listening of you and audience is not the same as virtual training, but they will be if the design is poor, if you don't have the right level of interaction built into the design and you're not in keeping attendees engaged then what you've done was taken a class and turned it into a webinar mm -hmm. what might you add to that brian well i have a question for you uh -oh. who's the genius that decided that webinars are an hour you know <laughs> i don't know but 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 let me say this and here's why i think webinars are typically scheduled for an hour one is because there's something about attempting to hold the attention of a busy professional for longer than an hour. And two, a lot of webinars are boring as heck. So why would you want to keep people if there's very little interaction, if you're not challenging your audience, if the person is not a great speaker, why in the heck would you want to keep them there for more than an hour? Right. I mean, why not make it a 20 minute webinar or, or a 30-minute webinar? Right. You know, and so how many how many times have you been through a webinar where they feel like they have to fill the time? Right? Oh, yeah. They're obligated. It has to be an hour webinar, right? Yeah. And I'm just saying, you know what? I've given you what I need to give you. I'm done. You know, and if it takes me 20 minutes, that's good. You know, so it is a kind of we've kind of got forced into this strange box that yeah. webinars are an hour. And I have to admit, it's a bit of a pet peeve of mine because it just, it's an arbitrary thing. And we've all come to believe that this is the truth, an hour. And so, yes, I think right off the bat, we kind of come in with a bit of a full uh, yeah. sense of what it needs to be. You know, and so, here's the other thing, let me just, just interject here. Sure. Here's the mm -hmm. other thing that, web, that this one hour webinar has, um, how that one hour webinar uh, mandate has impacted live virtual training. Live virtual training sessions mm -hmm. are not an hour. Sometimes they're 90 minutes over multiple days. Sometimes they're three hours. I've delivered project management training for a large um, high-tech firm in the Silicon Valley that had a footprint of five hours a day for five straight days. And just recently, last week, Brian, I delivered a, um, a, a building effective teams course, 17 participants. The, I was originally supposed to be in Houston last week, but because of COVID-19, the client switched and they wanted the same dates because they didn't want to change the dates and they wanted it to be delivered over Adobe Connect. So I delivered an eight hour a day class over three straight days last week. 
Now, mind you, when I first got that assignment, I'm like, oh my God, I got, I got to keep 17, 20 people fully engaged for eight hours for three straight days. Because as I share with you, the maximum duration that I have delivered a class was a five-day session. But Brian, I'll tell you, and I'm not tooting my own horn here, or maybe I will a little bit. Um, the class, the timing just seemed to go by very quickly. It was a good design. This particular class has a lot of uh, has a company workbook, so there's a lot of activities. The participants are asked to identify a real case study, something that they're dealing with up front. And everything that we learned came back to giving them some time to apply that to that case study. They had uh, work they did individually. They had work they did in teams, where they did role plays. They had larger breakout group session. And so the dates just fl just flowed seamlessly. And at the end of each day, I would ask for feedback in terms of was is too much activity, too little activity? Did I go too fast? Did I go too slow? Um, and the, the positive feedback was just incredible. In fact, I don't even think I've received one iota of negative feedback. And these are busy professionals working for a large $30 billion a year organization, mm -hmm. but we're able to stay engaged for virtually live for eight hours a day for three straight days. It's like, you know, wow. And, and I think that's a good segue into things we will talk about because you touched on so many different topics, so many different ways of thinking about how do you take advantage of a virtual training how do you keep the people motivated? And a lot of these areas that, that you have been just, you know, briefly touched on, experiential learning, breaking it down, putting people in different groups and so forth, are all part of this, this puzzle that I think we need to put together. So um, so I do like that the idea. I think that you um, that you've now kind of opened up the topics of, you know, how should we be thinking about it as learning professionals? Um, how do we want to start to make this transition? We may not always get there in one fell swoop. It may take a little time, a little practice. The fact that you ask for feedback and see, you know, what, what's working for people and so forth, and not just depending on that smile sheet, I think are all the factors that you and I want to delve deeper into and, and to really give you folks kind of an idea of some different ways. Some of it, the things I'm sure you've read about, is not necessarily brand new topics that haven't been discussed, but it's a way of thinking. It's a way of, you know, taking that step back and saying, how do I get my, going back to the beginning, how do I create a training that is impactful? That people, if I quiz them a month later, they can actually remember what I taught them and are using it in their office. So some great topics in there, Janet, that I think you really touched on. Yeah, absolutely. And even in our next session, Brian, we're gonna talk about how to keep attendees engaged during a virtual training session. I mean, think about it. Uh, eight hours a day for three straight days. There had to be something I did right to keep people engaged and how that mm -hmm. wonderful positive feedback at the end. Those are the types of things that we want to share with our audience, designing for engagement. Um, another session uh, that we're gonna uh, that we're gonna have, we're gonna talk about what's required of a virtual instructor live trainer. Because as I said earlier, 
there's a lot of brilliant trainers and instructors who could stand in front of a live audience and just do brilliantly. But you put them in front of a computer screen in a virtual classroom, mm -hmm. and it's very, very different. I've right. had colleagues that said, no, I cannot deliver virtually. They're like comedians without an audience. They can't hear yeah. the laughter and they don't know what's going on otherwise. So Yeah, and the mm -hmm. other thing about the, the virtual class that I did last week, the three straight days for eight hours a day, cameras were not on because of the bandwidth issue that happens and everybody gets responses you know at different paces so what i did was i had my camera on at the beginning of day one did my introduction etc but i had a gentleman on from um, south america from argentina and he was asking if the camera could be turned off because it was affecting his bandwidth so that's the other thing that makes being an effective virtual training instructor challenging because even though we have great technology, um, a lot of times the bandwidth precludes the use of, of uh, great points. you know, mm -hmm. and if you have, unlike Zoom, where you can have, you know, 20, 30 people showing, but it's just one way. You're not doing breakout rooms and you're not doing all this other stuff. Mm -hmm. um, when you are delivering live virtual training, uh, oftentimes the people just have your voice. You're not mm -hmm. on camera. Right. And so you don't, they don't have that visual of you and you do not have that visual of them. Right. So exactly. if you cannot flex as an instructor to still have that level of, of excitement and encouragement and, and know how to use your voice and to go up and to mm -hmm. come down when necessary to keep people engaged and know when to inject a question or a poll and pay attention to the chat room and pay attention to the, the questions and all that, then you're going to say, oh, this is not for me. Right. But I love it. I love it. And it's that reason that that you and I decided to invest in this time to help out the learning community so that they can realize a lot of the successes that you and I have in mm -hmm. this virtual environment. So Absolutely. I'm excited to be here. I'm so happy, Brian, that we, we got started and we kicked it off. And for those of you viewing and listening to this, thank you for joining us. Um, again, this is session one of our first masterclass series, all about virtual, live virtual instructor-led training. Brian, anything you wanna close on? Uh, no, it was just, this was an absolute pleasure. I enjoyed this tremendously and um, hopefully there'll be a lot of value. Um, at some point, you know, uh, we'll have an avenue for you to send questions in and absolutely take a look on LinkedIn for Janet's articles because she's written some really great stuff there. So we look forward to seeing you in future uh, in future events. All righty. Signing off, everyone. Thank you. Bye bye. Janet and Brian out.